Welcome to the Psychology of Case Management podcast, the show that helps you use psychological ideas to strengthen your relationship with your catastrophically injured clients and their professional network, so you can achieve more for your clients and feel more fulfilled in your role. Hello and welcome to today's podcast. My name is Shabnam Berry-Khan and I am talking today about exercise, I suppose, but not exercise in the running, jogging sense. No, no, that's not for me. That may well be for you, but I'm thinking more around the idea of exercise for the mind, I suppose. You've probably heard of meditation and you've uh, if you've listened to our podcast before, you will certainly have heard of the term mindfulness. And those kind of ideas are really linked to cognitive functioning, neurological pathways. And as someone who's had a, uh, an interest and a background in, in martial arts before, I'm interested in sort of understanding, uh, you know, kind of the science behind it a little bit and, and the neuropsychological and well-being benefits. So today we have Dr. Giles Yates clinical neuropsychologist from Rippling Mind talking to us about Tai Chi, which is an interest of his, uh, along uh, which he's brought in uh, to his professional work. So welcome, Dr. Yates. Thank you, Sheldon. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here today and to discuss um, these quite uh, unusual approach to supporting uh, survivors of brain injuries. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's that's it. It's um, something that sort of sounds like a, a regular idea of exercise, um, which is something that everyone knows and you know can do. But you know, this this feels like it's um, a different kind of impact on and, and a relevance on on our brain injury clients. But before we get into all of that, I'm just curious, as always, as you know interested in people's journeys to the topic that we're talking about. And, and I'm just curious, Tai Chi, where did that come from? You're a clinical neuropsychologist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or <it's>, are you? <laughs> uh, well, yeah, it's interesting. So, so it starts off in a very different part of my life. So I was doing my, you know, my professional life as a clinical neuropsychologist. And, and my hobbies, like you, I was always interested in martial arts and in my 20s, I did a lot of taekwondo, mm. always used to like to kick stuff. And then um, in my late 20s, actually, just a couple of years after I qualified as a clinical psychologist, um, I had a break from working psychologist. So I took a year off and um, my wife and I, we went around the world and for a year and we went off, we wanted to do some different different bits and bobs, different things we never did Um very different um, experiences. So we spent a bit of time in India. We did quite a bit of lots of yoga, and mm. then in China we went to different monasteries where the monks do kung fu and tai chi. Um, wow, so, very cool. But yeah, <laughs> and one particular one called Wudang Mountain. So people may have heard of the Wu Tang Clan. Yeah. Yes, so they're called after this. Um, monastic order of if you can get the closest you can ever get to Jedi from Star Wars would oh, be no. this like, with the monks and nuns do Kung Fu and Tai Chi and wield swords as part of their devotion 
to something bigger than themselves and yeah. it's going to be made famous in the movie Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon yes it's it? beautiful actually it's yeah. a very beautiful um style um yeah. almost ballet-esque exactly <laughs> it is it is and it's really the art aspect of martial arts so mm. so I to kind of went there and it just had a profound impact on me um, that particular community and that those particular styles of martial arts and then so then when I kind of got back um, and back into work and things and um, then started you know having a family and things that particular place didn't go away and I continued to practice um, martial arts get into kung fu and the tai chi but then in 2012 I really luckily had a chance to to go back to China and I actually went and I started training with one of the, the monks there as my master and I developed a relationship with as his disciple ever since and then also I've sought out other teachers of the same style so I then kind of trained to be a Kung Fu and Tai Chi instructor um, which, I, which I do with the general population um, mm. in the evenings. And and they've been that can be completely different and separate to my clinical psychology life. Until one day, I I just came across a, a, a research paper on Tai Chi for stroke and brain injury rehabilitation. Oh, I didn't realise it's been researched, and I I started reading it, and I thought these researchers have missed the whole point of what this stuff is is supposed to do. Tai Chi was described mm. as a physical, a physiotherapy intervention that focuses on its improving balance and strength and coordination, which it does. Mm. Um, but my, and if you think to any, particularly any practitioner of internal martial arts, the Tai Chi and related disciplines, there's a, a core psychological and emotional experience that's core mm. to it. And I suppose for everyone else, that would be the idea of kind of being in the flow. You or many other people might have a hobby or something where you just lose yourself mm. in activity and you forget who you are and you just immerse in this and then you kind of come to it from future points of time. And it's a very pleasurable kind of um, being adrift in this sea of something bigger than yourself. And, and for Tai Chi and for the Taoist monks and nuns, this is prayer. This is communing with with the divine with the universe when it's bigger than yourself quite um, spiritual There's oh, a completely super... yeah completely and, I, and so i kind of i read the paper and i said like, no this is completely missing it and and i thought and i read some more and it's the same thing like there are no these are researchers kind of seeing tai chi from the outside and it's only from kind of physiotherapy and nursing research backgrounds and no one's making the no one's taking the reader on a journey inward and then I thought well you know aside from me just getting a a a, a, a cushy ride to to do more tai chi in my life even in work time would actually <laughs> there be a value to this and and I was thinking about my own emotional journeys and my training in Wudang Mountain and there have been very very profound emotional moments there's been some kind of trauma reprocessing there's been some healing there's been some correct emotional experiences all while being sweaty and working really hard with a master mm. you know and mm. thought, this, this this is so I started then at that point developing my ideas about what 
Tai Chi may have to offer, what martial arts may have to offer, what yoga may have to offer survivors of brain injury. Mm. So how does that marry with sort of traditional science and, and what we know about sort of the brain and, uh, you know, what, has ha- what happens in brain injury and what happens when we, I guess, when we meditate, when we're mindful? Can you tell us a little bit about the sort of connection of all of those? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah I, I can because a lot of more recently, what I what I also do is I'm an academic day a week, and we're developing, we're just putting together a neuroscience study of Tai Chi. So we're yeah. going to be <laughs> we're, we're we're going to as soon as we're able, we're going to go. I'm going to go back out to China. You see how I've done this. Go back out to China <laughs> to, to the monks, and I'm going to um, record their neural activity as they do Tai Chi. Wow! Um, using a portable approach to neuroimaging called Ethnos. So yeah, I've been thinking about this. So and and, and it's been it's been a big thing in neuroscience since the 90s um, mm. to to look at the brain in deep meditation and what that what that looks like and what happens there. And um, they started doing that with Tibetan monks, Tibetan Buddhist monks and deep meditators. And it's been extended a little bit to what their approach is to yoga and to Tai Chi as well. So to summarize it quite briefly is when you can do one of these practices and you've done it a lot, when it's not new to you, your frontal lobe goes quiet. Mm. It shuts down. And so... What's shutting down there is, this is in the process of the meditative practice itself. What shuts down there is all the self-referential chatter and dialogue and analytical thinking and anticipatory mm. forward-focusing thinking that, that fills up our mind. The Chinese call this our monkey mind, by the way. It's a <laughs> rampaging monkey that's just, just sending you here and hither and over this all the way and and taking you away from just being in the moment yeah and, I, visual, and, I can visualize that that's that's yeah. a really good way to think about it yeah okay and, and not just being immersed in the sensory experience of tasting something or looking at the intricate detail of a flower or being in the flow of a movement practice or in the breath you know and that's that's a hard place that requires practice and effort and to get to that but that nonetheless this is this is this is what seems to happen for people this is how these brains appear when studied and side effect of that is that when that these groups of expert meditators or yogis or tai chi practitioners do have superior um, attentional and executive skills when tested so there are mm. cognitive gains from it but the actual so that's that's when you compare these groups on tasks that you know after the fact but when you you actually are able to record people in these states it's it's a shutdown and forgive me for getting kind of too into the spiritual texts of these but uh, the Taoist and the key Taoist texts the Tao Te Ching where, where Tai Chi comes from has a number of important sayings. And one of them includes that the value of the wheel is the space in between the spokes and the rim, the gap in between. Mm. And the value of a cup is the, the space 
in the container, you know. Mm. And for me, it's if the brain shuts down, it lets the universe in. We're unimpeded mm. by our own chatter and thoughts. Yeah. And then yeah, to link that quick, almost. Exactly. That, that's the idea. And they kind of doubt you is that, you know, suffering comes from, you know, you, you're like a surfer. You want to be on that wave. And mm. we're our own worst enemies of missing that wave and getting on things as, uh, you know, and not being on that wave of the universe proceeding from itself. Mm. Um, and it's, it's clinically, the, the main thing I have to say, I am, um, uh, I say we've survived the brain injury, you know, around the, the mind is people say like, you know, I, I'm not as fast as I, I once was. Everything is coming at me too much. I need to speed up. And I said, I don't know how to help you with that, but I can help you slow down even more to engage with things more deeply. So I'm a mm. slowing down consultant. You know, I slow things down. <laughs> it's like It's like when you press, pause on a movie or something then you can see all the details of that screenshot that's, mm. that's what this stuff does I think yeah and how is that then for someone who has experienced a brain injury you know how would that apply to them um in terms of their sort of everyday in terms of a rehabilitation uh, mm. package if you like well people come into this through different routes so some people refer survivors to me for the tai chi informed work because they, someone thinks that someone needs to see a psychologist, but they don't want mm. to see a psychologist. I mean, they, they don't want to sit down and talk about their feelings and a therapy, kind of classic therapy setup. What mm. they want to do is have more physio or work on the kind of physical um, restrictions. Mm. They also need to have that work on adjustment and acceptance and identity change and all of that. So. We go, okay, let's train. Let's, let's go and work on your arm or your leg. But from a Tai Chi approach, you're, you're using movement to get into a state of mind rather than focusing on the outcome. And by mm-hmm. doing so and reflecting on what comes up, you end up in a psychotherapy conversation anyway. And that's where, that's where it kind of, you know, where I found for me the most profound moments of my life has been training in martial arts. And so that's one aspect that kind of, getting into a psycho- process of psychological change through working on things physically, mm. not in a goal-orientated way, but for the sake of the movement, getting yeah. into a pleasurable uh, state of well-being themselves. Uh, and then, if, then physios would often say they're trying to work on the physio intervention, there's some kind of psychological barrier to that, or you know, the, there's something getting in the way of physio intervention. So it might be about bringing a psychological aspect inform bodily based uh, mind body work that's that's another aspect mm-hmm. um, and then there's a social aspect which is really key and we've done some research and evaluating pilots of tai chi and people who do martial arts you have a community of the people you know whatever it is if it's kung fu karate tai chi whatever you, you all get put in this space and do this really difficult challenging stuff together and you create a, a, a bond with your fellow martial artists, brothers and sisters in doing that. Um, mm. And again, that kind of social isolation that many survivors struggle with, the fact that people don't participate in leisure interventions in the community, even though it's been shown, uh, a group of experts have showed that, you know, post-injury identity reconstruction really benefits from 
re-engaging with social group leisure activities and there's a mm-hmm. huge barrier to that so if you get into mm-hmm. a kind of tai chi group with other people that that state of flow is like um something that can be experienced by everyone i think it's just different levels first it's if you if you're kind of fragmented and in pieces as a brain injury survivor um a core image would be okay you can't stick those pieces back together but mm-hmm. if there are like individual leaves floating on the stream they would all be moved in the same way by the eddies and current of the stream so they'd be in pieces but held together by something bigger than themselves so that mm. could be the breath and the sequence of movement could hold you together during that that practice and even mm. more doing that practice with other people you're then moving like a shoal of fish or a murmuration of starlings. You're all moving, you're all feeling bigger than yourself. And then finally, for those who, who have faith or, or, or views that are spiritual nature, there is an invitation to transcendence here and to really mm-hmm. be part of something bigger than, than yourself, if that's, yeah. if that's congruent with how you it. So there's, there's an invitation there to a kind of spiritual spirituality in supporting someone in their post-injury journey as well yeah no I could see that god there's so much application for it do you really get funding for this from a litigation perspective or is this something that that kind of comes out in in different ways um it was is available to clients in different ways a difficulty so I some of the some of the one-to-one work I do with survivors is funded and you know um case managers have sought me out because they, they've heard about this weird psychologist that does <laughs> martial arts what his work and they know that their client will not sit down and talk but so often I've, I've worked with survivors who've been either dancers or boxers in, in their lives before their injury and you know um, just and want to get back into working on, on a body-led approach but need mm-hmm. a psychology input so that would be kind of one common referral to me for that mm-hmm. um, but then uh, um, uh, uh, alongside that, we do, I do a lot of publicly funded, uh, charity-based funded uh, work for people who aren't in receipt of, you know, medical legal um, mm. uh, competition. So, so I do a lot of work with different strokes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and they had funding, kind of COVID-based funding, to run an online Tai Chi session for stroke survivors. So I do that on the different strokes, Facebook and YouTube pages. Every Monday, there's a tai, half an hour Tai Chi session. We've done, we've done 36 sessions so far. They're all recorded. They're all free. And it's, it's, it's for stroke survivors, but it applies to brain injury survivors. And, and we do Tai Chi movements after adapted for hemiplegia or, or wheelchair use. And people can just check it out and, flow along and see which optional movement works for them and it's all free to access amazing um, and we're, we're we're evaluating that as a research study as well and i've had previous yeah grants that i've just funded pilots of these groups in the nhs as well so. yeah amazing fly me i'm i'm very impressed i really am and yeah just what a great way to to marry up a a, a personal uh, development sort of tool uh, that a uh, passion almost with with your with your clinical work and I mean to me that is the ultimate definition almost of uh, sort of self-care thinking about the different you know kind of 
purposes and needs and, and meanings in our lives and trying to bring them together. But that brings me actually onto a very important topic of self-care. And of course, we often focus on, you know, things that our clients need, you know, ideas that are going to be very beneficial for them. But this has real application in self-care. You know, it's not necessarily something that we need to be thinking about potentially for our clients only. We should maybe think a little bit about ourselves in this. There's a role for, you know, for personal injury professionals, anyone really, to take advantage of the benefits of meditation type approaches, possibly Tai Chi and, and, and similar for our own sense of peace, I suppose, for want of a better word. Yeah, I agree totally. You know, I think, you know, a lot of clinicians and helping professions are kind of skewed towards self-neglectors, right? Mm-hmm. I think <laughs> there's a lot of, we do amazing daily self-sacrifices to support people in need and we neglect ourselves and we're hypocrites in a way, aren't we, for doing mm-hmm. that? Because really the conversations that we have with our clients should apply to ourselves and and if we neglect ourselves too much, then we will stop being able to help other people as well. And I think also we are in our head too much and mm. that's not balanced. We need to get into our bodies. When I was working full-time in the NHS and you know, I just would have the most horrendous weeks and be totally exhausted, when I, when I would get, I would make sure that I would always go to my yoga class. Um, mm. It was always Thursdays. I did a yoga class where I, 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 you know, I, as a punter, and then I would teach the martial arts after. As soon as I got to that yoga class after work, I literally would get there, put my mat out, lie down, and just breathe out. And it was like just being in a hug. And mm. you know, I'm getting emotional thinking about it now, actually. You know, mm. just like, oh, thank God. It's like being held after you've kind of done that for everyone else. And then you're good and you're good to go and you can do it again. And what I've done, I've been lucky enough in the last year is to bring more of that into my life and do more of that. And I, I mm. feel in turn that I have more energy and capacity to do that for other people. Yeah. Um, yeah. As a result. And I think, yeah, definitely. Last year I did do a, um, a tight online Tai Chi session for a case management company, actually, um, ah. for their staff. And and I know that's and right at right at the outbreak of COVID when everyone was isolating. So about this time last year and everyone was in that really difficult but we did that and then um I know that some of those people continued to access the stroke sessions that I've been talking about so they can keep doing the the, the work and some people sought out local Tai Chi or yoga classes just to get that in their life so that they have that care and compassion and resilience to carry on doing their job day after day yeah. I think you said it um you've said it before but it, it's all about trying to and I and I say this often as well it's all about trying to play the long game really um because ultimately that's good for us but it's also good for our clients we're not going to experience burnout quite as quickly or perhaps not at all even if we just looked after ourselves a little bit and that is you know that means that we can tend to our clients needs in the way that our clients need them as well as without neglecting ourselves and, and tending to ourselves in, this, in the way that we need it without neglecting our clients and professional needs. Um, so it's a real win-win, but it's, it's such a, a massive, massive mindset shift that is required, I think, because I think we are in our heads an awful lot. 
And it's, uh, I mean, obviously at the moment with COVID, et cetera, it's, it's, I, I can see that it's very hard, but I can also see how much more beneficial it would be as well to just, as, as you say, slow down and uh, be able to attend to what is needed because actually, weirdly enough, you can attend to so much more when you do that. And uh, what did you say earlier? Um, uh, sort of calming down the chattering monkeys. I really like that. Yeah. That really works for me. That's uh, brilliant. It, it actually is very topical because there have been RCTs of uh, uh, Tai Chi and Qigong, which is kind of mm-hmm. a type of a related practice, like um, Chinese kind of yoga practice, for sufferers of long COVID. And um, the very first cohort of COVID patients in Wuhan were rehabilitated uh, through the use of these practices um mm-hmm. so there is you know from a kind of long COVID perspective that there, there are a lot of fatigued depleted people out there more than ever uh, and mm-hmm. COVID aside um you know brain injury other neural conditions that the fatigue management is obviously an essential dimension of need and, 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 and focus and the approach to that up to now has only been reducing and conserving energy through reduced activity mm-hmm. um, and or trying kind of pharma, pharmacological approaches that have lots of nasty side effects and, and, yeah. and that there hasn't been a, a third option of how do you put more energy in the pot to use it but mm-hmm. these approaches you know in China it's called chi in India it's called prana um, mm-hmm. these are energy technologies and when you look at the RCTs of mindfulness meditation, of yoga, of Tai Chi, um, the, the key outcome that is consistent across these studies is our reduction in fatigue. And, and so there, there is a real kind of potential way. There's some, it's something about um, regulated breathing linked with a focused attention and stretching does seem to put energy back in the pot for many people and I think we need that um, as professional too you know definitely oh gosh yes absolutely I'm right there with you so in terms of so this is quite a new idea I mean it's it's uh, in 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 many ways in, in many ways it's really not a new idea <laughs> but say let's go with the original idea that it's uh, something that is new to our audience and who are listening and and they're thinking, gosh, this could actually potentially be quite relevant and useful for a client I have with a brain injury. What would you say to them to, you know, to work, to go with that? What What's the first couple of steps perhaps that you would recommend um, them to do to introduce this idea of, of neuroflow to, uh, to their, to their, to their clients? Yeah, it's an issue because I think the, the challenge here is that, any kind of new activity for the physical activity as, as traditionally offered in a class around the community has been something that has lots of barriers for a survivor mm-hmm. ability to access in terms mm-hmm. of getting there, in terms of uh, learning from unadapted forms of teaching and tuition or dealing with, you know, the invite the physical environment the social environment you know so everything else often stacked up against so people might try a tai chi class in the community and find out it just doesn't work for them mm. um and equally you might have a tai chi or a yoga instructor who doesn't know enough about brain injury 
instructor to know how to think about adapting. So it might be common for a Tai Chi or yoga instructor to say, oh, if I just demonstrate, they can just watch me and do it. Yeah. Without, without knowing anything about something like dyspraxia, for example, where you can't match what you see to your own body movements. And, you know, so it, it's not a quick process, but I, I have worked with people where say, people have found a good partnership between, say, in, in someone's package, a physiotherapist and or an OT, and they mm. brought in a Tai Chi instructor, a yoga instructor, and they started doing sessions together and work it up and get a kind of bespoke approach to things. So I think kind of forming connections with people and, and with anything, you know, for any of us, actually, we might try go to three different instructors and really like one and not the others. And you have a bit of trial to find the right person. Uh, yeah so actually try to see if i have an interest you know um have an interest to bring that in you know i'm working with a client now where movement is really difficult for them and they i've got really jaded with their kind of physio but their physio is bringing in um a kickboxer trainer um wow yeah just to spice it up just uh and this person will be doing kind of kicks on their back because they can't um, mobilize, but they're going to be worked. They're going to get into a full-on kickboxing training and they're really excited about it. And that mm-hmm. continues that journey around functional movement and the psychological gains of exercise. And you know, so, so I think, you know, just thinking creatively about, you know, some of these mind-body approaches and martial art practices have something to offer, but they need to be in dialogue with kind of the neuro rehab angle. Right. Uh, that's one thing. But actually then since, because of COVID, it, COVID has obviously closed down lots of opportunities, but a lot of things have sprung up online. Mm. And so you can access for free videos of people like me doing a Tai Chi lesson. And people can bung it on and see what it's like for them. Now, that obviously has additional challenges. So watching me on a video recording may do nothing for someone, but it would really it would really work for them face-to-face. But it might give them enough of a taste of that. They actually, I want to see if I can get that face-to-face um, in the future. So, mm. you know, it's more accessible. It's both accessible, but has its own challenges where you're doing it virtually or face-to-face. But I think it always benefits from a kind of, rehab brain injury specialist angle in dialogue with an instructor of a mind-body practice and and working up something and and being flexible and creative because the research has shown that you do need to adapt how the stuff is taught and practiced Mm. um, and to get into that optimal space of flow that we've been talking about yeah yeah no that's brilliant because I think sometimes getting started is the hard bit. And you're right, it does need to be adapted, even at the point of introducing an idea and being able to, to sort of understand um, how that's going to be received and whether it's going to be well received, you know, by nature of just how it's been introduced. So, um, yeah, that's really helpful stuff. To, to bring this, this discussion to a close, main themes would you say for our for our audience to take away with them um in terms of sort of science and and the the sort of exercise elements of it you know sort of mind practice and and or impact and 
what would you what would you want our audience to take home with them having heard today's session I think that maybe in in supporting someone's development going forward and in their psychological and mental well-being maybe something that you haven't considered is the value of slowing down even more and Mm. quieting the mind and bringing linking the body and mind in a way that's not focused on the goal but for the sake of getting into that state and when you look at it and when it's been researched the the evidence backs backs up that both Mm -hmm. physical functioning gains psychological gains Mm -hmm. um you know reduction in anxiety and depression um you know there's been big rcts of tai chi for certain neurological groups and meta-analyses of it um for stroke and parkinson's and and smaller studies in tbi as well but it is showing that you get these gains in balance mobility reduction in falls um um strength reduction in anxiety and depression improvement Mm -hmm. quality of life but I think this elusive fatigue is a, a really interesting story that this might mm. be a, an additional option for fatigue management and kind of energy proliferation, I think, to, to look at this and see if it, it could be a, an additional element in the toolkit for managing fatigue for people in neurological conditions. And mm. then potentially a, a social opportunity, potentially uh, a, a, an avenue of spiritual support for those who would want that as well mm, yeah amazing and the self-care element of course <laughs> from mm-hmm. a professional perspective yeah. um just bang on that listening. drum a bit more yeah, exactly <laughs> all the people why are you why are you listening to us now on a podcast stop what you're doing get into your body <laughs> you know go and do a tai chi or a yoga session online stop listening to us <laughs> uh. Well, you know, after the episode, of course. Um, but no, exactly, exactly. And it's okay to um, to want to do that, really. And, and that this is an excellent way to, you know, what I like about it, it's almost disguise. It's like I'm doing physical exercise. Um, but if I can allow my, my mind to 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 move into that sort of uh, in, into that more meditative state and to, to see the benefits that way, it's the ultimate self-care, isn't it? <laughs> really Uh, oh well look dr giles slowing down dr yates as i'm now going to call you thank you so much for your time yet again and for joining us on the psychology of case management podcast and sharing your wisdom and your well i suppose want of a better word sort of diverse background and how it's coming together in um in in what is effectively a very neat little package so i appreciate that uh, before before we go though can you remind me um i know i introduced you as rippling minds but technically that's separate is it not to yeah that's what, my, the, what we've talked about but... that's my conventional psychology oh, yeah. you're still, you're <laughs> that's your mainstream psychology that, name. But, yeah but if you want if you want to if you're interested in the tai chi work specifically um mm. it's neuro-slowgroup.com but if you put in giles yates Tai Chi, you'll find it all on, on, on a search engine. Perfect. Well, I'll, I'll put all the details as, as always in our show notes um, for our audience to, to peruse at their, their leisure um, and to think about for their clients potentially and of course themselves. Thank you so much. And thank you everyone for listening in on yet another interesting um, episode. We'll see you next time. Take care for now. 
show. If you enjoyed the episode today, I'd really appreciate it if you could rate it on whatever platform you're listening on and share and like on your social media profiles. Word of mouth is the best way for us to grow and to be a continuous resource for all. And if there's any topic you wish for us to cover, please drop us a line on our website. Thank you so much for all your support. 